Well, you know the Lord's laid on my heart to bring for the new year a few messages on the topic of total commitment. And this is really a biblical theme that extends throughout the whole Bible. Uh, We can go back to the book of Genesis with such men as Enoch, who walked so closely to the Lord that the Lord actually escorted him to heaven without going through the valley of the shadow of death. It was evident in the life of Noah, the patriarchs, Moses, Samuel, David, the prophets, other kings. Coming to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ taught the concept of commitment to his disciples. He said to them that in order to be a disciple, you had to forsake all and follow him. The Apostle Paul, probably the greatest example of a committed Christian in the whole Bible other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come all the way to the end of the uh, book of Revelation and what's going to happen in future times that uh, those who are fully committed to the Lord are going to seal that in their own blood. And one book that highlights this theme very clearly is the book of Deuteronomy. So that's where we are again today. And we have derived so far two important points concerning total commitment. First of all, you'll remember we observe God's expectation of this among his people. And the key verse really is in chapter 10, verse 12, uh, where, where the Lord uh, speaks to his uh, people and he says to them, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I can't command you today, for your good. Perhaps there's no other verse in the Bible that brings out this truth more concisely than that statement of God's requirement for his people to be wholehearted in their commitment to him. We also found that the Lord blesses total commitment. And as we peruse chapter 11... In the book of Deuteronomy, we found that God blesses us with abundant life. He blesses us with a holy heritage as we teach these truths to our children, the next generation. And also a victorious life uh, over the enemies of the soul. And we have a choice what way we're going to go really every single day as he, he brings this to a conclusion in uh, chapter 11, verse 26. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you to go after other gods, which you have not known. So today I want to help you understand another aspect concerning total commitment. Years ago when I was out on visitation once, I remember knocking at a door. A man invited me to come in. We sat down. We started to converse a little bit. I found out he had been a pastor. But now he's sitting in his home. He's not going to church anywhere. He's totally uninvolved. For some reason, he lost his commitment for the Lord. And the Lord at times will send things into your life and into my life 
that may entice us to leave him, to go back on our commitment, to, to make us lukewarm. He'll test our commitment to prove whether or not it's genuine and long-lasting. And Moses reveals this in the 13th chapter, and in the third verse, as he's actually speaking here about the the testing that will come from false prophets, false teachers. And this is what he says. You shall not listen to the words of that false prophet or that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God's going to test our commitment to him. And in this passage, chapter 13, actually beginning at the end of chapter 12, I see four areas in which God will test our commitment. First of all, he will test us through the idolatry of the culture in which we live. That's at the end of chapter 12. Secondly, he's going to test us, as we just read in the 13th chapter, the first few verses, he's going to test us through false teachers which are prominent in the world today. Thirdly, we come down to verse 6, he's going to test us through family relationships and friendships, whether or not those people can pull us away from him. And finally, He's going to test us through faith communities that actually lead people astray. So as we look at these different tests of our commitment, let's ask the Lord's guidance this morning. Heavenly Father, once again, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that because of the Lord Jesus Christ and all he's done to save us, we're able to commit ourselves totally to your will and your service. Lord, we realize that there are times, there are days when uh, we, we fall behind our desire. We may even unknowingly realize that we're kind of slipping away. But Lord, we, we pray you'd help us to be marked by this commitment we find in the book of Deuteronomy that you expect of us. We know that in our day and age, we have the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit residing within. We have the word of God. We have a church community that will help us in these endeavors. So Lord, help us not only to pay attention for ourselves, but for others that we communicate with, that we influence. And Lord, help us to be committed to keeping each other where we ought to be. Bless your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, this morning, back in chapter 12, verse 29, the Lord will test our commitment with the idolatrous culture in which we live. Take a look at verse 29. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it, 
you shall not add to it nor take away from it. So the Lord tests our commitment through society. Now let's take a moment and consider the danger of the Canaanite culture that Israel was about to go in and actually supposed to destroy. Every warning in this passage, as we read through these different sections, is related to idolatry and the danger of God's people moving away from him as the one true God to all the other things in the world that would allure us and become a God to us. To turn from God and devote yourself to something other than him. It's the antithesis of total commitment. Now the Lord promised that he would give this land to his people Israel. They will go in. They will dispossess the various tribes and nations that currently live there. But this does not mean that every vestige of their culture is going to be wiped out. Moses warns Israel to take careful heed not to be ensnared, not to be entrapped by the false religious worship of the Canaanites. And this was firmly entrenched in their culture Israel was not supposed to wonder what kind of gods they worshipped, how they worshipped, and choose that over God. Why? Because those practices were extremely abhorrent to God. They were abominable. The worst name that you could put on something to show God's displeasure. The culture was so degraded that God was going to use his people to judge it and to punish it, and his purpose was really to totally destroy it. However, Israel would not be able to do that. They only were able to partially overcome the Canaanites, and their failure in that endeavor actually presented a perpetual testing opportunity. And we see this in the book of Judges, chapter 2, if you'll just flip over there for a minute. This is after they've come into the land. They're doing some mop-up work. But in chapter 2, 22, this is what the Lord says. In verse 20, says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel because they had not completely destroyed the Canaanite culture. And he goes on to say in verse 21, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that through them I may test Israel. Whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So some of those remain, and they would be the test for the genuineness of commitment in Israel. And it's that Canaanite culture in which became a kind of subculture, but eventually overcame many times the people of Israel, as the book of Judges portrays for us. The danger of succumbing to idolatry is present in our culture as well. True Christianity is now the subculture. And we live in an increasingly decadent society where biblical values are marginalized, ignored, 
God expects the church to influence the culture, but guess what? The culture's influencing the church. Each one of us is being put to the test as we live in this idolatrous culture to see if we're really committed to Christ. And if you know your Bible, you ought to know what idolatry is. It's not bowing down to some stone figure or wood figure today. Some nations it is. But here it's not. We know that idolatry is anything that weakens our zeal for God, holds us back from or gets us in the way of full devotion. Idolatry is evident in the church today. Let me read something I came across in my studies that really impacted me. This author said, one of the most critical tasks facing the church today is to recover, rethink, and reapply a full biblical understanding of idolatry with a sober and painful evaluation of the extent of its penetration, not only to the roots of Western culture, but into the very bloodstream of the church. And he's right. Now I'm going to make two areas of application because there are just so many, you know, I could spend uh, five sermons on it. But we're only going to look at a couple of things here. And one of these is sexual immorality. Now why do I bring that up? Well, because that was inherent in the culture of the Canaanites. So it's in the context here of what we're talking about. They actually had male and female temple prostitutes available to the people whose sensual acts were supposed to inspire the gods to make the crops fertile. So they promoted immorality. It was part of their actual worship. Adultery, perversion, And then you notice there, the last part, verse 31. They burn their sons and daughters in fire to their gods. Infanticide. Can you imagine that in the name of some god? Oh, we're going to raise our children up and we're going to put them in a fire and we're going to sacrifice them to a god. False god. Well, would you agree today that our culture is predominantly bowing down to a God of sex and sensuality? Kent Hughes wrote, Sensuality is easily the biggest obstacle to godliness among men today, and it's wrecking havoc in the church. Godliness and sensuality are mutually exclusive because godliness is, is commitment to the Lord. The one man, one woman marriage relationship today is rapidly declining in our culture. The divorce rate even among Christians is nearly the same as lost society. It's infected the church. Professing Christians have fallen to the mantra that it's too hard not to have this relationship before you get married, so we'll just go ahead and do it anyways, or it's okay to live with someone that you're not married to. Our society 
even offers up its children to, to Moloch. What do I mean by that? Well, children come as a result of intimate relationships between a husband and a wife. Now it's, of course, much broader than that. But if you don't want that child, well, you can abort that child. You can get rid of that child, even up to the point of birth. Since Roe v. Wade, over 62.6 million children have been murdered in our country. And some professing believers say this is acceptable under certain circumstances. Not to mention an increasing acceptance of homosexual behavior, including same-sex marriage, which is becoming a dividing point in some church denominations. The culture is influencing us instead of the other way around. Total commitment involves a life of purity before God. The Bible is so clear on that. We will be tempted in this area uh, of life to go the way of society, to accept its norms, but we must trust God to help us obey his commandments and influence our society for righteousness. We have to teach the truth to the next generation, what the Bible says, not what society says. And we have to ask God to protect us from falling to these things because it's everywhere. I mean, the media is full of this garbage. TV, movies, we've got to be extremely selective these days. The devil knows how to tempt us in this area. The other thing that I'm going to mention, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but that's our entertainment. We have a lot of free time. Maybe the last year we've had a lot more than we want. But we've got a lot of free time. And there's much in our society that has idolized our entertainment. People are, 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 are just carried away with things to do. For instance, today. How many people will be watching a football game versus how many people will be attending a church? We'll gather in an arena much like the ancient uh, uh, coliseums of Rome where the gladiators won't go in and they kill each other. Uh, we don't quite get that far today, but they're in there and they're beating heads together. And, you know, I, I like football, but I don't watch it anymore. I quit that a long time ago. Because it's the Lord's day, not my day. But today, we'll be bowing down to that God. How many folks sit in front of a screen most of the day, entertaining themselves, their own little world, watching news, novels, movies, information, and uh, when you go out to eat, you ever see couples sitting there with their little cell phones, and they don't even talk to each other, just scrolling. Why, why bother to go out to eat if you're not going to talk to somebody? So we've idolized these kind of things. What about the music we listen to today? Does it keep our minds focused on the Lord and being committed to the Lord? 
uh, what's godly, what's holy, what's righteous? Can we bring these worldly modes of, of music into the world, such as rock and roll and rap and pop and all these other things, and say that I'm worshiping the Lord through those mediums? I believe the Lord has a distinct type of music that honors him. Aren't we being more committed to what we like than what God likes? So we need to be careful about our entertainment. The Lord warns us that we're not to be ensnared by the idolatry of culture. I've only named a couple of things. But the world's full of it. And we're not to be influenced by the world. We're to influence the world for Christ. We're not to love the world or the things of the world. So our total commitment to the Lord cannot be compromised by the culture in which we live. It's getting worse and worse almost by the day. Now the second thing we're going to look at here is in verses 1 through 5, chapter 13. The Lord tests our commitment through false teachers. Moses goes on to instruct the people. He says in verse 1, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign of the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. So here we have somebody who comes along, and Moses is a warning. Because one of the signs of listening to a prophet is whether he does a sign or a miracle uh, that shows that God might be behind that. But that's not the only thing that you look at. You have to listen to what they say. If they come along and they say they're a prophet of God and they, they, they have a, a dream or a vision or some miraculous sign that they give and it, it, it actually looks real... You don't only say, oh, he must be a prophet of the Lord. You've got to listen to what he's using that to tell you. If he says, let's go after other gods, he's no good. Don't just look at what, he's, uh, what he appears to be doing that looks sensational and wonderful. Listen to what he's saying. Because he's saying, go stray from God. He's leading you down the wrong pathway. So the role of the prophet was a means of, of God getting his word to his people. But you've got to be testing the prophet to make sure he's telling you what God uh, wants you to do. So you test the prophet. You see what he uh, uh, does, but you listen to what he says as well. <clears throat> there are myriads of false teachers in the world today. Modern-day signs and wonders movement, the charismatic movement, the prosperity gospel, all these have their prophets. They all have their teachers. And their words are very persuasive because if they weren't, they wouldn't have such a huge following. And some of their works may seem to be genuine, but what are they preaching? What are they saying? What are they telling you? Do they emphasize doing certain works to prove you're saved or, or filled with the Spirit? Do they ignore or water down the gospel of Christ to get a following? Do they appeal to your feelings, to sensationalism, to antinomianism, which is against law, or, or to biblical reason and balance? 
You need to know the word of God thoroughly enough so you can recognize these false teaching as they come down the pike and you're not drawn away by any of them. We have had friends that have gone off the deep end on some of these teachings. They think they've escaped fundamentalism or, or some kind of legalism. But perhaps what they have really escaped is obedience to God's word, his commandments, his true ways. And Moses says what you're supposed to do with these people. Now we have to be careful. This is Old Testament. This is the people of God in Israel. And, and God had death sentences for certain things. I don't know how much they were actually carried out. Of course, in the church, there, there are no executions of that nature. But look what he says in verse 4. You uh, uh, shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. There's that principle repeated again. Total commitment, wholeheartedness. Even if a prophet comes and tries to turn you away from God. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you away from the way the Lord, which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. So that shows you how serious this was in the eyes of the Lord. This person's a dangerous person. He's leading my people astray. He's enticing them from the truth. Therefore, he should be immediately judged so he cannot do that. Now, the Lord doesn't tell us to do that today. Find a false teacher, take him out and stone him. But he does say what to do. He says, don't listen to them and separate yourself from them. Avoid them. Get away from them. Don't let them influence you. So in a sense, they're, they're put to death by our separation. They can't influence us because we don't, uh, we don't affiliate with them. And we demonstrate total commitment by sticking to the scriptures and avoiding those who try to lure us away from God and his word. Jesus and the apostles warned of the same thing in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 24, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the very elect. So the devil is still working to keep us from being totally committed. Through false teachers. John wrote in his first epistle, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So God's going to test us by those who are proclaiming a false gospel or, or false teaching. They may say they're Christian. They may say they believe the Bible, but you've got to test them so you don't go astray, or your family. We come down to verse 6 through 11. And here again is another great way that we will be tested, perhaps the, the most difficult of all. Moses says, If your brother, the son of your mother, in other words, your full-blooded brother, your son, your daughter, 
the wife of your, your bosom, or your friend who's your own soul, your soul mate, secretly entices you saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. You shall not consent to them or listen to them. Boy, is that tough. You love your family, love your mom and dad, you love your children, you love your wife, you have a real close friend that you, that you love, and they try to entice you away from your commitment, and so many succeed. And here we enter the, the private arena where not everybody else knows what's going on. It's secret. They do it secretly. You know, we don't know what's going on in your family. You do. God does, but not everybody else does necessarily. And these are the strongest attachments of life, but that they can become sources of conflict that can lure you away from your commitment to the Lord. What if one of these close people to you tries to entice you to follow the idolatry of culture or some false teaching? They will be the most difficult to resist because you love them and you don't want to break that relationship. And there are a lot of modern-day enticements. How do they try to allure us from commitment? Well, often some will come to know Christ. The rest of his family don't like that. So they put pressure on you to turn away from the Lord. They don't want you to quit all the bad habits and type of fun we used to have together. And how many husbands tell their wives, well, you know what? You can't go to church. And they'll use a scripture against them. Doesn't, say the, doesn't the Bible say you're, you're supposed to submit to your husband? So you can't go to what? Uh, to church because I said you can't. Or it's okay if you want to be a Christian, but just don't be so fervent. Quit being a holy roller. <clears throat> Quit preaching to everybody so we all can get along. Or maybe a parent, even a Christian parent. I've heard of this. They try to dissuade their child from going to a, the mission field or a Christian college. But can't you serve God close to home? Okay, you go there, but I'm not paying the bill. Pressure. I remember in our first ministry, a young man left our church because his grandmother was a Jehovah Witness and he started reading all that material. So our, our family can influence us away from total commitment. And again, we see the seriousness of this in the eyes of the Lord because here again is a, an execution type thing. And imagine doing this. You shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Boy, aren't you glad you don't have to worry about that today. And again, I don't know if this was ever really even carried out, but maybe one reason it wasn't, we don't have examples of it in the Bible, is because the people were so fearful of it, they wouldn't do it. 
I'm telling you, folks, a death sentence isn't a turn, uh, is something that should turn somebody away from, from committing murder and other types of crimes. And it goes on to say, you shall stone them with stones until they die. And again, verse 11, so all Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness that's among you. So this was a very serious event in the eyes of the Lord, to try to turn somebody from faith, to turn them from commitment and serve whatever. I want you to see this again in the New Testament relationship. Turn, if you will, to Matthew 10. Jesus is teaching his disciples. Know what he says in Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And the sword is the idea of division. Now look where the division takes place. For I have come to set a man against his father. A daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. Those who are closest. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There it is, New Testament. He doesn't say go off and and take the sword and kill your father, your mother, your daughter, your son, whatever it is. But he says, you better love me more than you love them. Because they're going to test your commitment. Our commitment to Christ supersedes any other commitments, even the closest of human relationships. Moses brings up one other thought in verse 12. If you hear someone in one of your cities, now here is a city, a large community, supposed to be a community of faith because they're all supposed to be serving and loving the Lord. This is a, this is a, a town in, in uh, Israel, which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying... Corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Here again it is, an enticement away from being totally committed to the Lord on a citywide attempt. And this is supposed to be a community of believers, a community of faith. And you know what's supposed to happen to that city? It's supposed to be utterly destroyed like it was a Canaanite city. Is that true today? Worthless people luring people away. And they're supposed to be people of faith. They're supposed to be in communities of faith. Do you understand? Are you aware that there are corrupt communities today that say they're Christian, that say they're of the faith, and they're not. That's why you have to listen to what they say. 
what they teach, what they preach. There are denominations. There are parachurch organizations. There are individual churches that name the name of Christ, say they're under the umbrella of Christianity, but they do not teach and preach the gospel of Christ. They teach a gospel of works or a combination of faith plus works, and hopefully you will be saved if you do all these things. Folks, every major denomination has fallen prey to apostasy. They preach a false gospel. So you have to listen to what is preached. Do they even preach how to be saved? Do they even preach the whole concept of salvation? Or just a social type gospel where we get along and we do nice things in the community? If they teach that you have to obey the traditions of the church and if you do, you'll be saved, that's not the gospel. If they teach, well, if you do this and do that, you come to church, you tithe, uh, you read the Bible once in a while, uh, you try to help people, it's all based on your goodness, what you do, not on what Christ has already done for you. So you have to listen to what they say. It's a false gospel. Paul warned the Galatian churches about this when he wrote to them, but even if we, meaning me and the apostles, or an angel from heaven, Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached you. Let him be accursed. That's how serious it is. The gospel of Christ is by grace alone, received by faith alone, apart from your works. There's no work you can do that will pay the debt for all your sin. Only Christ could do that. There's no work that you can do that will save you. Only Christ can do that. It's only his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross that paid the penalty for all your sin and mine forever and ever. If a church community adds to that, detracts from that, it's teaching what is false and we should avoid it. That's why we need to affiliate with a church that preaches and teaches the Bible, what it says, what God says, not what church tradition says, not what uh, a denomination says, but what the Lord says. And there are Christians today who will not leave a church. They know waters down the gospel or doesn't really preach it at all, or just has a social type gathering gospel thing, they don't want to leave because of their friends, their family, their associations. They think that maybe they can change it. Maybe they can make it better. But God says, come out from among them and be separate. Be committed to the true gospel of Christ. Well, we could say, a lot more, but this suffices to help us to understand that the Lord will test our devotion. He will test our commitment. So are we passing the tests that are presented in this passage? There are others. The culture in which we live is moving farther and farther away from godly principles, the Christian faith. Many churches are moving along with the culture. They're, they're not quite as close, but they're, they're following. We should stand out like a sore thumb in our community because we're different 
than the culture. We can't compromise in any any way with, with the evil mores of society and still be committed to the Lord. We need to assess our lives. Where do you stand? Where do I stand? Is it with God? Is it with his word? Or are we being influenced by the world around us? <clears throat> There's much that's religious today, but it's false religion. There will always be men and movements who proclaim to be teaching the truth, but they're not. They will be appearing to be angels of light, but really they're emissaries of Satan and darkness. So we need to know the scriptures enough to discern the false teaching. Are you close enough to the Lord to be able to search them out and identify them as false and dangerous? Are you committed to the truth of the true gospel we find in the scriptures? And finally, our own family, our friends, can influence us for good or evil to follow God fully or half-heartedly or not at all. So do you have the resolve to choose God first, to not let someone close to you turn you from total commitment? And will you be the one, by the Lord's power, by his strength, by his spirit, who will influence your family, your friends, your culture, your church, for Christ in the coming year? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the exhortations from Moses in your Old Testament word. We know, Lord, that these truths don't uh, apply 100% to the church today because uh, we're not going to take people's lives. We're going to try to give them the gospel. But, Lord, we see the danger of falling sway to the society in which we live, uh, which is pushing the church farther and farther down into its subculture. We know, Lord, that the world's just packed full of false teachers and false faith assemblies, and we have to identify them and and know them and, and try to draw people away from them. And Lord, we know that our families and our friends uh, can influence us away from you instead of toward you. So we have to be very careful. So we would ask you, Lord, for your strength to help us to be committed when the tests come to, to pass the test, to not fall prey to these different things, and to serve you fully and wholly in this coming year. Before I close this morning, I would ask you to just take a minute in your own heart to ask the Lord to help you this coming year to be fully committed, totally committed to him, to influence those close to you for for Christ, to reject the the false teachings in the world and Lord, and also not to fall to the, the pull of our modern society. And if you're willing to do that, just in your seat there, in your own heart, ask the Lord to help you to be fully committed to him 
this coming year. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would make our commitment true and help us to keep it through the year. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our hymnals and close today with hymn number 500. And uh, by way of commitment, let's just sing a couple of stanzas here. Number 500, all for Jesus.